Yo, 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 what's happening, everybody? On today's episode, my guest is a friend of mine, a guy that I met coaching baseball. Him and I actually now coach the same team, so I've gotten to know him pretty well here over the last year or so. And um, he's actually now serving as the Minnesota Twins bullpen catcher. He just took the job this past season, the season that the Twins went, you know, I think it was they won 101 games and, you know, pretty sweet season to start your bullpen catching uh, career and just glad that he was able to sit down and take some time. We talk about a little bit of spring training and we talk about him being starstruck by a certain individual. Um, We talk about clinching the pennant, what that was like, life on the road, a couple stories. So, hey, we have a good time. And we also, if you're a baseball guy, we delve into the analytics department here pretty good. And it, you know, listening back, it's actually, he's a really knowledgeable guy. So if you're a baseball dude, you're really going to like this episode. So here it is. Connor Olson, my man, appreciate you. Enjoy. Perfect. Okay, so a little little warm-up. Get loose here. Oh, um yeah. So we'll start out some quick hitters here. In and out or Chick Fil A? Oh, I'd have to go. I mean, like if I were to live in Arizona and given the option where I could get in and out more often, I'd probably I'd still eat Chick Fil A more often. But based on my lack of being able to, you know, get it. Anytime yeah. I want, I'm gonna go with In and Out. Just just because I mean, it's, it's a luxury. Sob- yeah, exactly. You know, I get it. Twice a year, three times a year, depending on how many Blizzard tournaments I get to go on. So you gotta enjoy it. But I do love Chick Fil A and Chick Fil A sauce is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I didn't buy into it until the summer with the Saints. I had it a lot and. So you, you stick with the Chick-fil-A sauce only? You don't go to, like, the other sauces? I mean, if I get Sriracha. tenders, I'll go with, like, ranch or something. I'm a big ranch guy, but other than that, yeah, I stick with the Chick-fil-A Yeah, Chick-fil-A sauce. is legit. The sauce is legit. I usually stick with that sauce, too. You can't really, yeah, it's tough yeah. to beat. I, I got, yeah, I go Chick-fil-A, I think, just because it's overall better food. But, yeah, yeah. it's better in and out There's something about in and out Just it's, It is a luxury because we don't have it up here for whatever reason. Exactly. It makes it better. And we had every home stand. If it wasn't a Sunday, we'd have in and out like, on the plane as, like, a little appetizer waiting oh, you for would. us when we, got, when we got to the airport. So, yeah. Rogers hooked that one up, which was nice. So, as long as it was, we weren't leaving on a Sunday. I had a lot of in and out. So, he's uh, a big in and out guy. Or Chick-fil-A, sorry. He, oh, yeah, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. So, I had a lot of Chick-fil-A this year. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. All right, how about, uh, this might be a tough one, but Joe Mauer or Yadier Molina? I mean, I got to go with Joe Mauer strictly because... I mean, twins I grew guy. up, yeah, twins guy, and I, I mean, in my lifetime, I obviously love Yachty, but no, one, I grew up watching him, and he's just like the epitome of what Minnesota sports was for an extended period of time, you know, he dealt with a few injuries here and there, like later in his career, but I grew up watching him, and he was like, to most people in Minnesota, like a savior to Minnesota sports, just the epitome of what we could be and then I mean I don't think I think he's still 
the only American League catcher to win a batting title. I think that's yeah, I that's think probably, that's what yeah. it is. I think he's the only American League catcher to win a batting title. And he won three, didn't he? Didn't he yeah. win three titles? So yeah. like I mean, when he was in his prime yeah, he was, and hitting what three sixty three a year in the big leagues, his MVP season. Yeah, twenty eight like, bombs too. Yeah. That's un unbelievable. And yeah. Yachty's been amazing and he like, you know, throws well. But really good defensively. Go. Offensive numbers. Like he's got good offensive numbers, but not he never had the seasons that Joe did. Yeah. Like you know? when Joe was in his prime and Joe won, like while he was doing that, he was winning gold gloves. Right, which and is pretty ridiculous. Which is so at six five, like a large, a large human being, to be able to, you know, hold up back there for as long as he did and put up the offensive numbers that he did. Like you can't argue yeah. with that. Yeah, his best seasons were for sure better. It's just whether or not, if you want to talk about like the prolonged career. Yeah, Yachty's, longevity. Yeah, and defensively, Yadi's about as elite as they come. And but, yeah, I was just curious on that one. All right, so. Next one I got here is, would you rather catch strike three looking to end the inning or just hose a guy stealing? Like, strike three looking, throw the ball to the mound, do your thing, draw it off, like, hey, we got you, or just hose a dude stealing? I mean, I honestly, I'd probably rather catch strike three like receiving to me has always been probably the most fun part uh, like other than hitting just take once pride i became in like a better hitter but receiving strikes. yeah receiving to me has always been like probably the most fun or one of the most fun parts about baseball and like i as many people have played with me will attest to like i play with a lot of energy or emotion so like and like you know when young guys came to college they'd talk about how like they love how like if i did get like strike three to end the inning like you know i'm yelling i'm doing something like pumping that dude up on the mound and like they loved it but so i've always loved receiving and that's just like if if i like if you receive a pitch well and get a strike and like and the opposing coach or like a hitter is arguing about a borderline pitch. I right. always loved it. Like yeah, I yeah. was like, got yeah. you. Yeah, got you. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like me personally. Whenever I caught, I love st- like throwing guys out for sure. But I think just the fact that I don't know, just the whole getting the team involved when you you don't even not even stealing, just making the right yeah. call, freezing a guy. Maybe hey, guess what? We're going fastball outside corner. Maybe you're sitting, you know, slider, whatever. Boom, strike three throw it on the mound boom let's go ahead like that's that to me was more fun than just throwing out a dude and like hosing a dude like sure like every once in a while you'll get a guy when he gets a great jump and stuff but a a lot of the time if not most of the time as long as like your throws on the money he didn't steal on you like he's still on the pitcher rather not holding him on or slow to home and like a million other variables are like you throw a really nice like short hop short stop doesn't pick it or vice versa he picks it and picks you up on like a tough play like there's a lot more variables when it comes to that whereas if a pitcher executes his pitch i want to like i take pride and want to do anything i can to yeah like and when you get it whether or not it was borderline or just painted and you didn't do anything and the like the pitcher just executed his stuff it's just fun yeah yeah it is i agree um 
How about Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park? I mean, new Yankee Stadium, it's obviously like a lot of the stuff is like top of the line. The atmosphere is, I mean. Crazy. Yeah, crazy, destructive, just unbelievable. But I'd have to go with Fenway just because like the history of it when, when we were there, it was awesome. Like going under the green monster like seeing all the signatures of just everyone who's ever like been there played there whatever have you yeah and out in the bullpen you know they had mariana rivera signed uh like signed part of the bullpen with something and the red Sox like framed it authenticate like mlb authenticated it and like wrote a nice message like thanking him for the years of competition against him and stuff like that and like just the history that is no longer like with new yankee stadium versus fenway true was awesome and then our series at fenway like i think it was i want to say it was the last game of the series maybe it was the second game of the series i don't really remember um but like the atmosphere was just unbelievable. Tight games. They're still at that point. I think they're still in, in the, the race, race where if they yep. start playing better, they've got a chance. Like their season was wasn't over at that point. And like Devers or someone got on in the ninth, down one. JD Martinez hit a double off the wall, and Rosie hosed the dude at home with the short wall and yeah, in right. left. And yep. like the just the, for that entire inning and like the innings leading up to it, the atmosphere was just like where Yankee Stadium is everyone screaming like it like some people see it as intimidating obviously I didn't play so like I wasn't really intimidated but yeah many people like it's it's a tough place to play whereas Fenway was just like an awesome atmosphere you're closer to the fans in the bullpen like it yeah, it's just, a smaller park, right? Yeah, it's, Obviously, it's super like super small, like so fans can be a little more on top of you. And, holds less people, and but so I'd say Fenway, just because I mean the history there, how cool the at the atmosphere was just cool, like it wasn't extremely hostile. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I'd go with Fenway, but I mean Yankee Stadium was like pretty legit. Top, just yeah, it's top of the line. Like, it's top of the line. The fans are. Ridiculous. Something else, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I guess yeah. Fenway. Yeah, that playoff series must have been crazy. We'll get into that later. Um, oh, what's uh, when you played, or if you were to play, what's your walk-up song? <sighs> Top walk walk-up song. If you had to take one, I Did mean, you have a couple when you played. The one. I was never even, I liked it because like if I'm having a walk-up song, I want something like EDM-y or rappy, but I want the beat to be somewhat slow. Like it almost feels like... Relax, yeah. Yeah, it almost feels like it like, you know, slows your heartbeat down or something like that. But when I, my best seasons, like senior year of high school through sophomore year of college, um, before I got hurt, I had Dark Horse by Katy Perry, which... yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not great, but it it got me in my zone. <laughs> well, hey man, whatever works, man. Yeah. If if you're rolling and you're hitting the ball, like getting up, yeah, man, whatever works. Yeah, that's awesome. Dark horse. Uh, okay, last one. Would you rather catch a perfect game or hit a walk off bomb? That's a tough one. I'm going to be selfish here and probably say 
hit a walk off bomb. Cause really? like really, uh, no, but no, that's I mean, just. He, I mean, that's, you gotta go with what you. I mean, it would be because I think I'm trying to think. I caught. Did you ever hit a walk off bomb? First yeah. of all, you did. So I caught a perfect game for Gus Varland. Either I think yeah, perfect game for Gus Varland. And then, like a few no hitters, and a perfect game for Josh Gaworski, so both in college. Two perfect games. I'm trying to remember. I know Gaworski's was. He uh, he was sick that day. Had to change out. Had to take his sliders off because of an obvious reason. And right before the game, and he goes out and throws a perfect game. And I'm trying to remember if Gus's was a no hitter. I think Gus's was a no hitter. And then, like I caught multiple no hitters in like high school and for blizzard and stuff like that yeah um but gaworski's was really cool and then uh my two of my walk-off homers probably my my favorite one was just because up in we got rained out three days in a row in saint paul when we were playing mankato at home and so we went up to mankato because they just had a circle of perfect weather around Mankato while the rest of Minnesota was just getting destroyed by rainfall. <laughs> and so we went up to Mankato, like played a doubleheader up there. Second second game, like third in, third inning, I took one of my fair like not great friends, but like I knew him really well. Like we played summer ball in the Northwoods together. Brody Rodney, he got drafted. I I forgot by who. But, like, solid lefty pitcher, you know, like, low 90s, just polished slider, curveball. Um, and, like, third inning, two-run homer off him to take the lead, like, slider, like, away, came back down down in just Right into the swing, and, right into yeah, the barrel. Yeah, eh? right into the barrel. And then later that game, we had a top nine, So we're but we're in Mankato, like, at their home field. Top nine, we're up one. And our closer, like, throws his first fastball of the day. He's just a turbo cutter guy. And he throws his first fastball of the day, solo shot, ties the game up. And then, like, I let off the bottom of the ninth. And, like, went, they went up and in, hit a foul homer. Didn't get all of it, but, like, enough at the 330 down the line. But, like, went foul by, like, 10 at feet. Concordia? At Or where? Mankato. In Mankato. Yeah, oh, that's right. Mankato. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and like, this is their closer. He's like, you know, probably 89, 91, little slider. Uh, second pitch, he paints a slider down and away, like, for strike two. And now I'm, I'm down 0-2, and I'm like, ah, damn it. <laughs> I got to respect that now. Like, I'm just fighting at this yeah. point. And they just tried to go up and in again for some reason. And <laughs> they didn't get it quite up, so it was, like, letter high. And it's probably... To that one, it was a like walk off against Cato in Mankato, but it's to this day it's also probably like one of the best hit balls I've ever had in my yeah. career. Like just perfect timing, metal bats which are just unbelievable when like you just don't feel it when you barrel it up. Obviously, yeah, like it, over the uh, over there like big net to save all the residential areas that's out in left field from balls and yeah, that was a fun one, but. I mean, it just depends if you were to put it off. If you, it just depends honestly at what level. Like if I was playing professional baseball, I'd probably go with perfect a perfect game, game just, just because it's harder to do. Uh, and just it's because super it's, rare. Yeah, it's so rare and unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but 
at a walk the college off. level. Like a walk I off really bomb. enjoyed those. I, I've never I've hit walk off hits, but I've never had a yeah. walk off bomb. That has to feel just freaking phenomenal. Hey, eh? I mean it's fun. Yeah, my other one was a granny at Minnetonka when we were, but it was against I want to say Southwest Minnesota State, and like bases loaded, two zero maybe, and just same just group like belt high heater inside and like just hit it. I, this is the one like I never pimped home runs because one I'm small and like even balls I knew I got like my first instinct was just to sprint right away so like I'd sprint and then I'd be like oh, okay I got it and like not like Cadillac it a little bit but like I never pimped home runs but this is the one I wish I would have pimped because like <laughs> bases loaded two outs elevated it like into the wind so I wasn't like 100% sure it was down the line like missed the foul pole by like five feet I thought it was gonna hook but it just stayed true and like that's the one where I should have because all I had to do was run down and touch first bait like you oh, know, yeah. it wouldn't have met he right. either he either catches it if it doesn't go out he either catches it or all I have to do is get to first base with the bases loaded yeah with two outs but I, I like I still have the video and I hit it and like I like start jogging and watching it but like not even the slightest pimp just like <laughs> hit it Toss the bat and like start jogging and like looking down the line, but <laughs> wish I would have pimped that one. But other than that, I never, yeah. never pimped anything. Yeah, me neither. The few that I hit, um, I never. I wish, because it looks like it's fun. <laughs> Be fun to do. Um, all right, man. That was a warm up. Good little warm up. Get the get the blood flowing a little bit oh, yeah. here. Um, so let's let's get into uh like how how you got the job being a bullpen catcher for the twins. Like what what happened there? How'd you get it? Yeah, so uh like last off season, um I had gone to like a few tryouts just for independent ball stuff. Okay, so and you played for the Saints two summers ago, right? Two summers ago. You I played, played a few and games and like I bullpen caught and then like played in a few games when Justin O'Connor, our starter, who was an absolute stud, got he went down with dislocated thumb, like inside two seam, foul tip, just he got thumb, his thumb off, yeah. yeah, brutal, it's the worst. But uh, so like after that, I was looking for like potentially another indie ball gig or trying to figure out what I was gonna do, and I had heard about like the potential for the job the year before from Doug Doug Vanisek who works in the away clubhouse one of my buddies I played baseball with him at Concordia and but like I never really thought much of it I was like that's best case scenario like it would have to be written in the stars or like some type something like that yeah but uh, yeah one day Marcus McKenzie he was our pitching coach at Concordia until he took the full-time gig in the away like clubhouse manager in the away clubhouse at Target Field uh, he just he called me one day and was like, "Hey, what do you got like going on for this next season?" I was like, "I don't know, still still looking, you know." Just started up the conversation and he asked me if it would be something I was interested in. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, <laughs> of course it'd be something I'm inter- I'd be interested right. in. Like, what? Like, where do I sign up? What do I do? And he's like, oh, "Just um, just waiting on a call." Rob Anthony, who's the assistant GM over there will be giving you a call, you know, shortly within the next hour or so. So just wait around for the call. I like, talked with him on the phone a little bit, 
set up my interview and uh and yeah so set up my interview i just went in like met rob a bunch of the other front office people thad um and sat down with like nate diamond the other the bullpen catcher former, who had, bullpen, yep, catcher, former yep. bullpen catcher who had to stop because of some nerve damage in his hand who was like helping find the next guys and stay, sticking around he got a job as the video guy for like instant replay and stuff with us okay yeah, yeah. um and i like, just went for my interview and it was just basically like they were trying to get a feel of what kind of person I was because like they were like they asked me they're like how do I interview a bullpen catcher like can you catch a fastball and like they knew I had done stuff with the Saints they knew I had caught like with them like Tom Wilhelmson who has you know six or seven years in the show as a closer he sits upper 90s and touch like in his career touched 100 I think he touched 100 once this season with the saints and you caught him with the saints yep and I so caught they him. knew like physically you could do yeah. you're up to the task like, you yeah could do it so they knew like that part of it you know played but they just wanted to make sure that i wasn't just some like kid who was going to come in you know try to just live the life of like and like think i'm just like on cloud nine live the life like try to go out and just like you know get in trouble or give the twins organization a bad name by doing something stupid or just like go about my business the right way and that i wouldn't be you know a cancer or an idiot when it came to certain aspects like they just wanted yeah. to feel out who i was as a person and make, make sure, sure you vibe with the yeah with the make team. sure like everything would be good on that end and i wouldn't like go make a fool of myself or anything like that and so we had that interview Told, like he called me the next day and said if I wanted it I had it blah 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 stuff like that and yeah and we were going from there and you're just like yep I'll take it yeah and then couldn't be happier just easy <laughs> easy decision hey eh? yeah very um so fast forward to like day one on the job I know I remember you you like spring training usually starts what middle of Feb like pitchers and catchers mm-hmm. report. Most guys are there by the end of February. You didn't get there till what, like middle of March or something? Is that yeah, right? I think I was or down there. Mar- I was down there the last ten days. So what? Mar- I think I got there like the sixteenth. Um, and then like we flew home the twenty fifth or twenty sixth for the first for series. the first series and opened up I think the twenty seventh. But, yeah, so, like, flew down for the last 10 days. I wasn't initially going to go down, but Rob called me. He's like, hey, we just want to, like, have you come down. Nate can show you the ropes. You can, like, meet all the guys, like, get to know how everything gets done around here before versus just throwing me in, like, right. day one of the season. So, so flew down. Um, flew down, like, got to meet all the guys um, and, like, just, you know, get accustomed with everything first day first day i was there they had like a little cookout at the field where everyone you know like barbecue and anything like that a few beers and stuff we got to hang out like at thad's uh, rental property down there at the complex we stayed at and just you know get to know all the front office people get to know some of the players yeah and so that was fun and then like when we got down there i mean one coming from St. Paul was obviously awesome with the Saints for what they have for an independent club. Yeah, but for coming sure. from a Division Two program, just seeing even like the spring training complexes from inside and everything that we had and everything that like goes on down there was just incredible to me. And then like my first day 
uh, walking, like you got to walk past the cages to get to the bullpens. And like, I was setting some stuff up, like getting ready to go play catch with some of the guys. And like, I just casually, as I'm walking, JD and Mookie, we were playing the Red Sox and JD and Mookie are JD Martinez, Mookie Betts. Yeah. Or, uh, walk into the cage and i was just like oh my god what is going on right now like, <laughs> i'm like walking basically step in step with two of the best hitters in baseball right now yeah <laughs> who have more money than i can even comprehend and i was like this is unbelievable <laughs> yeah yeah so that like what else like day one was there anything else that kind of stood out i mean obviously that but then like meeting a few of the players or was it all just like pretty smooth and like easy I mean, it was smooth, obviously. I was a little nervous, and, like, I didn't – my especially my first days, when it came to meeting some of the guys, I didn't want to, like, overstep boundaries. Right. Or like, try, I tried not to step on any people's feet by, like, you know, just walking up mid-conversation and just introducing myself or some things like that. Yeah. So I, my first few days, I was a little tentative, but, like, all the guys were really good about everything. And, like, you know, you also, like, one, our team – was awesome when it came to like no one was a huge ego guy and stuff like that but then also you have a bunch of at that point like you still have plenty of guys who are going to start in triple a who come down and like are in the bullpen depending on your needs for that day and what the plan is for that day so like meeting some of those guys too helped just open things up i know uh winston sawyer who's in triple a most of the year um as a he's a catcher and he was there to help me, like, in the bullpen. Like, it was me and him switching off yeah. with the bullpens. And, like, so I talked to him a lot, and he kind of just walked me, like, you know. Got took said, you under yeah, his wing a little bit. Yeah, took me under his wing. And not, like, teaching me certain things, but I just, like, helping me, like, get to know some of the guys and stuff like that. And um, we had another guy there, too, and, like, I just kind of asked him about the one-knee-down philosophy before I got to talk to Tanner Swanson about that. And, like, they kind of walked me through it, and I was just, you know, Got to test it out a few times before the season opened and see if I it's something I could get comfortable with and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, and then it was just I think the first the first person I got I played catch with when I was down there was uh, Big Mike Mike Pineda. Yeah, yeah. And that was the bet. He's one of the best dudes I've ever met. But that was just I was I'm like five ten and a half maybe 165 pounds i'm playing <laughs> catch with big mike who's you know six seven six eight basically he's just a, a monster, towering hey? human being like three plus right like he's yeah he is so, a big dude man so uh that was my first um like I first bullpen kinda. first flat ground first guy i played catch with while i was down then i just was like big oh my mike God. here you go these people are massive <laughs> oh man love it um so just kind of like what's a typical day like in in spring training for a bullpen catcher is it kind of a grind obviously you're only there for like 10 days but i mean are you pretty busy doing stuff or what uh for the most part i didn't just because i came down there so late so they already had a routine established right yeah and so nate the old bullpen catcher helped walk me through things and like there was a learning curve especially when it came to rubbing baseballs i'll I'll go into that but you gotta (laughs) Uh, got to rub down a yeah, bunch. Yeah, but eh? I had a lot of time j- strictly because I didn't have a car down there because I came so late. So I rode with Marcus, the weight clubhouse guy who's down there too, okay. every day. So we'd get there at like 
for a one o'clock game i was in the clubhouse at you know six or six thirty every day so that gave me more than enough time to get stuff done but yeah so like i'd get there six thirty. at spring training there's a little bit more just because we have there's more people there's more fields so like i'd have to get you know two bags of baseballs a ball caddy a catch ball bag um, and then like a bucket with all the like the weighted bats, weights, pine tar, stuff like that, and get them to three separate fields that are all relatively close proximity. And then like maybe put like either a bucket of balls or like the pitching machine on one of our small fields, which is just infield, whether they wanted to go do infield on it or work on bunts or something along those lines. And then so like once I got that done, just out of the way, just with my free time, I would just start rubbing baseballs which at the beginning of it i was not good at i'd say the first <laughs> box that i had to rub um did not come out usable they were pro they were really about as black as can be <laughs> so you over rubbed them huh yeah there's definitely a learning curve when it came to that but uh nate helped walk me through it a little bit and then timmy one of the clubby home clubbies who had done it for 12 years for game balls you know, I did it alongside him a little bit, and he kind of showed me the ropes a little. But, yeah, there's just a learning curve. Once you figure out how to do it, it's easy. But, but yeah, so rub baseballs, go get something to eat, then just take it outside and get ready for, like, whether guys are just need someone to play catch with, need to throw a flat ground, need to throw a bullpen. I mean, at spring training it's a little bit easier just because – you know, guys like Garver and Castro and some of the AAA guys want to see these people, especially like later on, like Castro and Garver would catch so they some of the catch big league them. They want to get to know what they yeah, got, right? Because they're not going to do it once the season starts for the most part, unless like they get hurt and come back off it. They're not going to catch a midweek bullpen when they're catching every day. Yeah, yeah pretty much every day. Right. So um, that was fairly easy, and then it's just. You know, they've got a plan for who's getting up and what inning pretty much no matter what happens as long as the starter doesn't absolutely, you know, shit the bed and throw, like, way too many pitches in an inning or something like that. But, I mean, the after getting all the just tedious, you know, mundane stuff, which I'm obviously fine with, with the rest of the opportunity that the job gets me. Right. But once you get that out of the way, it's just easy sailing. All it is is just play catch catch a flat ground or something like that just nothing too uh nothing too strenuous yeah and then just take it all down at the end of the day and grab some grub shower and get out of there yeah nice um we're i know you talked about like mookie Betts and uh um jd martinez were there any points like that were your starstruck um you know like meeting somebody um, I mean, I met I like you, you told me before, but yeah. I want to hear it again. So I met like Maurer and Morneau in spring training, and like Morneau, we talked for a while. It was funny listening to him because Tom Kelly would always come to our college practices, so we talked about TK a lot and and his incredible attention to detail. Yeah, which he's just a nut, isn't in, he? Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, but like I knew they were there. So, like, I, like, knew who I was meeting, like, n not too bad, like, just talked to him, 
didn't get to talk to Joe a whole lot. It was just more like in passing and we'd introduced ourselves and like stuff like that. But uh, then when we got home, I was just like went to the back like storage room where all the balls are held and just going through my normal day. I honestly think it was like a one o'clock or noon game too. So I'm barely like, I'm probably an hour and a half out of bed. The coffee hasn't kicked in yet. I'm not, not a morning guy. Yeah, eh? Not a morning guy. And I just like walk in the back room and like right in like the alley I have to walk. I like almost run into someone and like look up and it's Tori Hunter. And I was like, oh, oh, uh, hi, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Connor. (laughs) <laughs> the new new bullpen guy. Nice, <laughs> nice to meet you. And yeah, but that was the one starstruck one, strictly because like I was so caught off guard that he was back there and yeah, like was not prepared for it. Yeah, just dude, you watch up, you know, growing up, yeah, watch him play and just bam, there he is. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, so getting into the season, you guys go back up north. You guys get rolling. Team gets off to a hot start, and they start mashing pretty early. What was, like, the early season vibe with with the guys? And, like, I mean, was there a confidence level early that you sensed? Like, hey, we're a good team, and we mash. Like, was there a, a pretty – like, what did you feel out right away? I mean, early in the season especially, just because, like, early in the season, our pitchers also were just shoving. Like, Gibby started off well. Martin Perez started off the year unbelievable. Yeah, I think he, did, he went, yeah. I think he started off, like, 7-0 and with a – I don't remember what his ERA Sub was. Two. But, yeah. Right. Like, just started off unbelievable. And along, like, those lines, our staff was throwing really well. And then, we like, we started – you know, once the once the offense got kicking early in the season, especially at home, like the Cleveland series was just tight, fairly low scoring ball games in the cold. But once the season got kicking, um, yeah, it was just it was just fun. Like Mike Morin, one of our good buddies, he got uh, DFA'd and then traded to the Phillies at you know right before the trade deadline, basically your All Star break, but. Like, he was saying that he'd been, you know, in the big leagues up and down most of the time up for five or six years at that point, I believe, probably five years. And he was like, this team just feels so much different than anything I've been a part of. He's like, it feels like a college team where we come in every day and and this isn't sustainable, but, like, you expect to win and you're extremely mad when you lose. You know, in college, like, if you – go into a series against a team you're substantially better than like it's baseball anything can happen but you still expect to take you know four games or whatever whatever your whatever your thing and he's like this just feels like college where we're just gonna win every game we play and like that was the that was the mindset among a lot of these guys and the confidence was just unbelievable and we went on that stretch where just homers just yeah wouldn't stop coming like i think like seattle and stuff like that and it was just that – I mean, that kind of offense just gives your staff so much confidence. Because, yeah. like, if you keep it even remotely close or, like, you give them an early lead, it's just demoralizing if your staff has that confidence and can go up and put up zeros or at least keep it to smaller innings when, you know, we have a big inning or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, the confidence was just – off the charts especially early and even when we started struggling like among the players there wasn't really like that much 
of a panic. You know, like they still even like the stretch where people started like, you know, media started saying whatever and like when we struggled a little bit and yeah. Cleveland was inching Kinda back. Kind of came back to the, earth a little, yeah, right? came back to earth just because we were playing at a pace that wasn't sustainable at the MLB level. It's just like we still won 101 100. games. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think 101. Um, so, like, we came back to earth a little bit and Cleveland started playing out of their, out of their ass. But, like, the players, I mean, they still – confidence didn't start lacking. Yeah. Even in that, I mean, maybe a little bit, just because we knew, like, it's baseball and we could lose, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you talked about, like, guys not panicking and, like, whatever, not letting things get out of control. But how much, like, from your perspective, was that due to, like, Rocco? Because he seems super calm, super, like, you know what I mean? Doesn't get rattled. Yeah. Rarely gets rattled. I mean, it definitely stems from it because he's, like, he's the kind of coach who wants a player to be themselves, like, every day. And every day, every single hitter hit because they're big league hitters who know the grind, who know, who have their, you know, routine and know what they have to do to play at their peak levels. But, like, every day, BP is basically optional if like you just wanted to get you if you're tired or weren't playing or whatever have you but still every day dudes are out there and he just he wants dudes to like be themselves and get the rest they need so if we played like a really late game like extra innings you know clubhouse would open late because he knows if the guys have to come in on you know five hours of sleep after playing a five and a half hour baseball game like it doesn't give you any better of a chance to win that game than if they get rested and still get to take some BP swings and are right ready to go. Get an extra two, three hours of sleep. But, yeah, I mean, he's just the kind of guy, he wants them to be themselves, lets them do their routine, um, and, like, trusts his guys. And, like, with the offense you have and when, like, home runs come like that, uh, you're never out of the game. And there's obviously something to be said about guys who, like, don't strike out or put the ball in play and stuff. But when you've got a guy at the plate – who can leave the yard or does fairly often like you're never out of you're never out of a game pretty much like a four run lead where like the mindset for every pitcher every players were one swing of the bat away from tying this game yeah yeah that's that's huge just to have that in your back pocket where you're down five six rounds and it's like well we're a tater two away from yeah. being back in this we're thing we're two you know? swings away like a walk like walk bloop and a blast or anything like that <laughs> like you're you're not far away from getting back into the game, and when you have guys like that from one through nine, you know. Yeah, I mean they when, really did, didn't they? Like when C.J. Crone is hitting in the eight hole, like. Yeah, that's okay, right? I mean. Yeah. What do you have? Twenty-five. I don't even know. I mean, he was a little banged up. He got banged the end, up. But. He missed some games, and like Marwin would fill in for him at first, even when he was healthy. So like, but yeah, he still ended with substantial, like more, very much so, plus twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nasty lineup. Um, what else did I want to get into here? Um, who was the hardest dude to catch in the bullpen? Um, because I don't like so Gratterall came up. He throws yep. hundred, but I remember you saying that like he kind of keeps it at ninety percent, so he's throwing like ninety. Yeah, he um he uh he's got a lot of feel out there where like he's doesn't go he's just he's getting loose he's getting feel because a guy like that if he can control it like good things are gonna happen so yeah. he, he's out there 
trying to get feel most of the time and he'll ramp a few up especially if he wants like a high four seam or anything like that he'll go max effort but for the most part he wasn't too bad to catch especially when he was just around the zone I mean every once in a while that sinker two seam he has was just unbelievable and there's like plenty of videos on pitching ninja or whatever have you where it just takes off and those are obviously tough but I mean once you've seen all these guys for a long time none of them are that extremely tough to catch you get used to 95 yeah you get used to 95 and you know what their balls are gonna do and you know what their balls are gonna do if like they you know get around one or cut one or anything like so like even like if it doesn't do what it always does you've seen it a hundred times this year basically so you know if it doesn't you know if he throws a four seam and it doesn't have the right spin or anything like your brain obviously you're not sitting on that but your brain has gotten used to like maybe he cuts it a little bit and like yeah you react better but i'd say when i first got there um rogers was probably the toughest to catch just because his slider yeah his 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 curveball and his slider like he throws a slider hard and they're both like the same shape almost one's just bigger and slower but his curveball the big one like when he throws it right, that thing just keeps going. It is just massive. So like the first yeah. few, the first few times I saw it, especially, I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what is going on?" Like it's just like so it like, is dirty. Like it, you, you look at it on TV and like those righty, like especially on a righty going back foot on a on a righty, like they just don't hit it. Well, and, it's, just don't. and it's coming like normally, you know, like a back foot, like if it's a hard slide or anything, like it's still like you paint it down and in and then back foot. But like that curveball he throws is so big with that same with that same shape that like it starts so far out and then still comes back foot. But yeah, so like the first few times I caught it, like, you know, you see it going and like it starts middle. So you think you can just, you know, roll the glove down a little bit and you're fine. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're hyperextended this way and just in an awkward position or maybe try to roll back o- completely over last second, like handcuff yourself maybe. But the first few times I saw him, uh, that curveball, it was... Just a different level, yeah. right? Like you've seen obviously good sliders, good curveballs, stuff like that. But it just, it, what, just the spin rate, huh? Like just I mean, yeah, more sp- spin than like, other dudes right so it just it moves that extra like whatever half foot that you just don't really expect yeah and it just and his arm slot too i mean coming from you know that uh, little three quarters like out here where yeah. lefty gets around he gets way it way out well. front yeah, right way out there his gets... extension's got to be just yeah gross yeah um like so i was one thing i want to ask you too was uh, i'm talking about like spin rate and um I don't know if it's release point or so like the new wave that um, who's the pitching coach again? Wes, Wes Johnson. Yeah. Wes Johnson came from college, um, brought a bunch of like analytics, you know, just a different dimension that the twins have had in the past. And the twins are definitely moving towards the analytical side of things. Right. Yeah. So like, what did you learn? Like analytic wise, spin rate wise, like stuff, you know, we talked about carry, you know, guys with, with a lot of carry, like, what all did you learn about that? And, like, yeah, just talk about some of that stuff. Like, Rogers, like, his numbers must have been pretty off the charts, right, with some of that? I mean. Yeah, so, I mean, the Twins were fairly, like, we were definitely weren't leading the way in going to this analytical In a year prior stuff. without Rocco, right? Yeah. And, and like, like, the new staff. Molly was, you know, 
like old, more old school and stuff like that. And there's plenty of teams who are already utilizing this stuff, and you yeah. know, like the Dodgers and people Astros, like that, yeah. Right. Who, as you can see, like it it played it well for those two organizations. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And then like Wes came in, and he's just he's just a student of the game. And same with uh, Hef, our bullpen coach. Like they're both just students of the game, always watching, always trying to learn. They understand like the biomechanics of everything, and like there's so many tools out there now to use that it just doesn't make sense like not to use them. Whether right. it's TrackMan data, where it'll tell you like spin rate, like vertical. There's a bunch of different ones that like even like some that I still don't like understand, but like vertical, like movement compared to like an average one, and like certain things like that. But I'd say, like, at this point, and, like, especially, like, anyone who doesn't throw a sinker, there's a certain gap for what, like, an average fastball is in at, at any level and, like, at the major league level more specifically, where it's, like, I think, like, you know, 2,000 to 2,400 RPMs or, like, something along those lines. That's, where like, that's big like, league average. That's the average spin rate of a fastball. And so that's what hitters are, used are to so seeing. used to seeing. So the idea now, which like, and I'm, plenty of people at least knew the sinker part of it, but with all these analytical like statistics and like tools that you can use now, we know specifically that you want to be outside of those two things. So you either want to be higher than that with your spin rate on your fastball and be a carry guy where, and that's why like so many dudes only are trying to throw at the top of the zone. Like, because at the top right. of the zone, whereas, so, like, a guy like Josh Hader, he's, his rotation is extremely delayed because his hips and torso and everything is so flexible, so that throws off timing as well. So it's like a rubber band effect, yes, right? He's, it, like, stretching it further and further, further than, than a normal normally guy. Normally people can, so his ch torso rotates through later than a normal guy would because there's so much flexibility there, which, one, helps with velo, and two, throws off timing. But then he also is like has incredible spin rate. So like a guy like Hader, pretty much, if he executes a fastball at the top of the zone with his velocity and like gets good efficient spin on it, I mean most MLB hitters, if not all, when he executes it and gets that good carry, just like, don't just have a can't, chance. Can't hit it because their brain, no matter how hard they tell they are trying, their brain tells them the ball is going to end up so much lower and they can like try to think it on top or however they want to rationalize it but that ball just keeps staying on that plane because that spin is counteracting gravity right so like for the people out there that might not understand like obviously a fastball any anybody's fastball is affected by gravity and they're expecting a little bit of drop right yeah, and so a 2000 to 2400 that's what they're used to seeing that type of drop so if you get a josh Hader guy that's like 3000 or whatever his numbers are yeah, there's no like drop to or that so. or there's little drop to it yeah, right that, that extra the extra like rpms on that spin of the fastball Keeps helps it. counteract gravity so it's still like it's still going to travel down because one like you're getting on top and somewhat throwing down cuz you're throwing down a mound and then two gravity is also working on it in that short you know amount of time it takes to get there but that spin rate helps counteract it and now that ball stays more on a level track to home plate versus you know diving down at you know a more 
consistent angle with an average fastball and our brains are so conditioned to seeing that that it tricks MLB hitters brains anyone's brains where when they throw a ball at the top of the zone like you're just probably not going to get to it and like they'll throw it and out of the hand you re like you make your judgment and halfway there you make your judgment and you read that ball is going to be down the middle belt high and a pitch that you can destroy and your swing starts going and but it's it, and it's letters and you swing over it and right, or swing under it and you're just blown away but then like that being said so like when he gave up he gave up a uh like eighth inning like game winning homer to Marwin Gonzalez on our team who's like a pretty good high fastball hitter like yeah. like maybe spin down but like high heaters like he quick hands like it gets yeah. on playing well and he left it like he didn't didn't execute it up top, and he he left it like mid thigh high, and like so Marwin was able like with his approach and everything, he drove it left center. But if it's belt game. high, but, but like even belt high, like he might swing through it, and you get it letter high, and like more often than not, substantially he's swinging through that pitch just because our brains are taught through seeing it so often that that's where that pitch is going to end up because all it is is our brains making calculations the entire way from the release you know through and when you throw something in there that messes with that and then like on the other end of the spectrum like sinker ball guys obviously like especially in a time well back to the spin rate guys too but so spin rate guys so like get a lot of swings and misses under the ball but also give up substantially more home runs than like a sinker ball guy or someone like that just because when people do get their bat on plane versus swinging under it they're still getting under it so if you're on time and on plane with those spin rate guys like you just naturally still swung under it and if you barrel it it's like that's why like verlander gives up a decent like gave up like it's either he's dicing and like same thing for like the two times we faced him this year he threw we won one of them he threw like seven or eight like two hits one solo shot just one run games yeah just because when dudes barrel guys like that a lot of the time like they just still get under it and it leaves the yard whereas like sinker ball guys like randy dobnak never gives up like on a fastball he's just more likely than not never going to give up a homer because that ball is just dipping under the barrel so even like even when we do get under it like if you get under it now you're hitting a liner and you really got to get under it to truly elevate and drive that pitch yeah to lift that pitch so but if you're above or below that average spin rate gap okay you're in a good position to be successful so, so Dobnik then is below it. Yep. Dob- so Dobnik's below it, and that's when you get the sink. And and like there's guys like you know Gratterall will still have. I'm not completely sure how it works, but like I'm pretty sure Gratterall every once in a while, even on good sinkers, will have like a pretty substantial spin rate. But like the axis plays a role in arm slot and stuff. Whereas like carry guys, so there's plenty of guys who have incredible RPM. There's some guys who have incredible spin rates and RPMs on their fastball, but like their arm slot or hand positioning is more cocked to the right or left, depending on if they're righty or lefty. So now that spin rate, if it's not spinning directly over like top over bottom, yeah, it's not efficient. Cause you're not creating that carry. Like when it spins, you know, more on like, say like a sideways, plane. sideways or, you know, even like 45 degrees, 
Like, that's not counteracting gravity where it's still going to travel. It might, like, do something weird that way, but it's not going to counteract gravity and still traveling on a right. fairly consistent plane to the batter. So you got to be straight over the top yeah, to get so the carry. Yeah, so you've got to be over the top with very little, very little, like, extra, like, fingers on it and, like, thumb placement or, like, your other fingers. Like, you want very minimal contact drag, right, from to impact the kind of spin rate that you can get off those two fingers. So, like so Cody, less friction off of your yeah. fingers. So like Stashak on one of the young guys on our team, like his thumb positioning is damn near on top of the baseball. It's just out of the way, and he comes right over the top and gets an incredible spin rate because there's nothing basically but his two, like, you know, middle finger and pointer finger. On top that, of the ball. That are impacting this baseball. Yeah. So his thumb is just barely hanging on, which has got to be just weird to feel I mean, that, like I've you know? Tri I've tried it just messing around with it, and it feels – I mean, I haven't thrown that way, obviously, but it feels weird. I'm amazed he can do it, but yeah. he does it well. Well, it's funny because, like, you've seen it – at least I've seen it in the past, I don't know, I want to say just a couple of years where guys have started to attack the top of the zone more, you know, like that used to always be, Hey, hit the knees. Don't leave anything up. Cause they're going to leave the yard if you do that. Yep. And now it's like, no, if you have high carry, you can be that dude that can go, you know, even belt high belt to belly button high and get guys to get under it. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, it, the game has changed in that regard where it's no longer just shoot knees. And that's why, like, the analytics behind the game give us those tools to make those decisions on how to, like, how you should pitch. Like, a right. sinker guy still should shoot, like, shoot, shoot knees, knees, get ground balls, get, get, ground balls, get, you know, get the defense involved. Whereas a carry guy, like, if he shoots knees and, like, peep, like you know, guys will joke about it because it's fairly new. So, like, say you're in minors 10 years ago and you're a carry guy and you're still being taught to throw knees, like, that wouldn't be all that That's effective. That's a meatball for – Yes, that, like, you're playing out of your strengths. Whereas right. now – so, like, there's plenty of guys who even, like, until, like, three or four years ago didn't know that and were pitching against their strengths. So the right. analytics and, like, all the statistics and everything behind it – help you make those decisions on how you should do it like carry guys top sinker guys below and then you know work off those pitches you know trying to tunnel and stuff like that yeah yeah that's cool um yeah it's just it's it's in interesting to me and i'm glad that the twins obviously hired these people because i mean it was pretty bit pretty big improvement between last year and then this past year and it's nothing against like Molitor, like the old coaches like obviously really knowledgeable um but you just can't ignore you know the the analytics behind everything and just it, the way that the game is changing and the way the game's going like for example we get rid of presley two years ago and the astros told him dude your curveball spin rate is ridiculous so you're going to throw your curveball instead of 25% of the time, like with the Twins. Once he joined the Astros, it was like over 50. Like, dude, keep throwing that because your spin rate's ridiculous. Hitters can't touch it. It's hard to hit. So, and, I his, mean, and his fastball spin rate, I believe, went up once he got there too. It's yeah. like those two things. So like a spin rate guy, like, I mean, you can. Like, you can still have a slider, and especially if it's a good slider, like it'll still work. But like, so a spin rate guy, like – 
you want like the top of the zone and hard like 12-6 curveball playing off those two separate planes where you can tunnel it. Where like out of the hand, they're both coming out. Looks of the, similar look, for a hitter. Like they're yep. coming out of the same spot and one drops off and one goes one higher than you think it's going to be. Yeah. So like you want to tunnel, whereas like if you're a two-seam guy, like like Mariano Rivera, for example, like, you know, two-seam cutter, and you don't know what it's going to do. You see a ball coming at you. And it's either going left or right. And if you don't guess right, you're either Saws swinging all. and miss or you're shattering your bat. Because, yeah. like, you want to play off of those pitches. Whereas, like, a sinker, a two-seam guy and then changes with a really hard 12-6, like, certain scenarios it will still work. And, like, if they're waiting for it and stuff. But it doesn't play as well as, like, a hard 12-6 off a high carry fastball or even, like, a belted carry fastball if they were to swing under it yeah so that's why like he's been super effective since he joined the astros he's obviously now like that you say that he's a two-way guy where he's got the spin rate up top and he can throw the hammer i mean he's like been a top three reliever i think for a while there his numbers were just ridiculous once yeah. he once he joined with them so it's just interesting how the whole analytics stuff is is working out and it's playing to our advantage for sure um where are we at? What else did I want to – getting back to the season. Um, so we talked about hardest guy to catch. How about this? On a lighter note, what city – worst trash-talking city that you guys went to? I they, mean, New York is obviously pretty bad just because, like, one, it's New York, and then, like, you know, Yankees – Twins, somewhat. I mean, I want to call it a rivalry, but not not all that much of a rivalry. They've had our, they've had a number over the last yeah, few just years, a little bad, huh? Least. But um, New York is no joke, obviously, especially in playoff games. But Philly, like New York, New York will come at you, like come at like you know, call you trash, like boo you, boo everything, like about <laughs> ev like everyone there and stuff like that and they'll throw beers and like cheer just exceptionally loud. But Philly was something else too, just cuz obviously everyone who's a Minnesota sports fan has heard unbelievable stories of like how people were treated at the Vikings playoff game a yeah. few years ago. They're just like mean. Yeah. So, like, you know, bad things happen to the Vikings playoff game. And then we, uh, like, the bullpen in Philly, too, is right in, like, a little beer garden area. Like, right on, fans are right on top of you. And you've got you've got freaking dudes, like, when I was catching. And this Philly, I think, was my – it was our first road trip, second place I had been on the year. And, like, I got dudes, like, giving death threats and stuff like that. Like, not not, not like trash talk, just taking it – just way too far like way too far out of the spectrum and like it didn't bother me like i know nothing's gonna happen to me yeah. but like if you know if you were a fan in a playoff game or something where you got dudes doing stuff like that or blackout drunk or anything like that i can just imagine it wouldn't be a a pretty place to be <laughs> yeah there's been some just stupid stories vikings you know eagles tailgate related um like fights, and, peeing on people, like anything like that. <laughs> Was there anything specific you got, like from Philly, like that you can recall? Um, like any, like beat well, some dude that just said something obnoxious. One, well, the one dude who was giving me like, the, like he was talking about the death threats. He like just started talking shit, 
and then uh like he started talking shit and he like started talking about how like this is philly we don't care about the cops blah 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 like nothing and like then like gave out the few death threats but the one that surprised me the most <laughs> one you got like you got like 12 year old kids yelling like at you and like it's you know unbelievable. it's just unbelievable. they start them young there it's but the one that surprised me the most was like this dude and his girlfriend were like standing over the ledge and he had been like talking trash the entire time and i'm just sitting there like catching mejia or someone like that minding my own business yeah and like the girlfriend had been quiet for like 10 minutes hadn't said a word hadn't said a word like he had kind of died down like i haven't heard anything for a minute (laughs) and like this next part obviously i know i've sweared a few times but this next part isn't the most pc thing in the world but uh but uh just out of nowhere, his girlfriend just screams, Welcome to Philly, suck a dick! And I was just <laughs> so caught off guard by it after like a little silence, and she hadn't said a word for like the 10 <laughs> minutes they were sitting just there. Just had no idea and, what yeah. she had in And her. I was just and so surprised. And then, yes, like I said, like kids are screaming F you and stuff like that. And there's just, there's no filters. Not, <laughs> if kids are around, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing matters. <laughs> Did you have your mask on when when she said that or no? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I did. So you could like hide your smile or like yeah. or your laugh or whatever. Just don't let them see you. Oh man. But those places where it's like close or fun, like you <laughs> get <laughs> yeah. Wh- whether they're talking trash or like you know just some of the people who just want to like slightly interact or like are at least kind of like that's talking trash is awesome when yeah. they're clever. Yeah. But if they're not clever, if they're just screaming like the same thing over and over again, it's just sh- shut up. Come back, come back with right. something. Come with something. Yeah, good. do some research. Find yeah. out something creative. Like you know, rip on like you know your fam, like what? Not like your family, but just something that you know about you. That yeah, do some research. Those are always the most creative beaks. Um, so no, I know you got a lady friend. However, I want to know what city had the best talent in the stands, the best scenery in the stands. Like I, I would just like guess L.A. like Anaheim, but I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe Anaheim I'm was surprisingly very weak in talent. Really. The two I'm trying to think of if like any of the places. We went where Miami would have been awesome if they drew any fans. Obviously, like yeah. they have, a, they have a little like I forgot what the club is called, but there's a club in Miami who has like a bar slash club thing in left field, in left field where like they got bartenders dancing and stuff. But like Miami just doesn't draw any fans at least that year, like when they were horrible. Um, but probably the best talent, surprisingly. The White Sox had decent talent, like not the best, but like the White Sox out in right field, like around the bullpen, and like there's a certain little like VIP area out there. They had pretty solid talent, and then probably the best talent of anywhere we went, and we went there a lot, was I'd say hands down Cleveland. See, that's just weird to me. Like I can't, I don't know, I just don't picture that. But I, I swear to God, in Cleveland, people are either like <laughs> you look at them and like you think. They're either like white trash, or they're just gorgeous human beings. Like the the field girls were, we're, we're more more than more than uh, okay, and then like even just all the fans. Like there's just I I was as surprised as you are, but Cleveland was probably the best talent. 
that we had anywhere we went. So they got a bunch of either twos and threes walking around or just eights, nines, tens. Yeah. Like just not many middle average human beings out there. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, I I wouldn't expect that. Hmm. Um, Buddy of mine was curious to know who is – like the pranks are in the bullpen. Do you got a guy that like keeps it light? You got a guy that does. And if so, are there any stories involving that, like a prank? Um, God, I'm trying to think. Who's the dude that likes to just have fun out there? I mean, second half of the year, Serge, Sergio Romo. Oh, yeah, he's a clown. Just a, he's just a riot. He not, like, he's not going to stop until. So it's probably, you know, he was our eighth inning guy, unless he closed a few games. But like eighth inning. Or seventh inning, he, like, and maybe even in the sixth, depending, he, like, locks it in. And, like, you know, he's going to fiddle with his nails. You know, he's just got a little nervous twitch where he's always, like, just making sure his nails are perfect, like, out there, just, you know, with the nail clipper or whatever have you. Yeah. But, like, other than that, he's always talking. He's always messing around, just coming up with, you know, anything and everything to just lighten up the mood, whether he's dancing or... I mean, I think uh, most people saw the video of after we clinched, he was out, you know, running shirtless, like in his compressions or and, uh, just the uh, compressions in like a Nike, like athletic shirt out in, uh, out in the outfield running yeah. poles with his goggles on and stuff. <laughs> uh, but like he was just a riot. And then um, before, before Maddie McGill got, DFA'd and sent to Seattle. He was, he always came with like it would. I forgot where it started, but like I started making him come with a question of the day every day, and he just have to think up, you know, the most ridiculous question you can think of, and like you know the guys who were down there before the fifth inning, we'd all you know go through it and give our answers and stuff. Probably my favorite one out of that when we were in Seattle, he just asked. Uh, he asked like how we thought the the roof closed in Seattle, like how that process was initiated. Like, was it just a button? Was it a touchscreen? Was it a lever? So, like, we all had to come up with, like, the most ludicrous scenario ideas of how this massive steel roof closes and opens and, like, how long it would take and stuff. And so, like, mine, which we obviously laughed about and I still think is the best, as <laughs> I said, we just had, like, you know, some medieval, like – medieval peasants like <laughs> running one of those like circle uh I'm, i don't even know what to like call cranks it right now. Or like, yeah like a one of the big circle cranks where you got like 10 dudes on this thing we have to just keep walking in a circle pushing it push. around for an extended period of time until the until the roof closed and they're but, all in medieval gear just yeah but yeah i'd say like when it came to messing around is probably like those two were the lightest in the bullpen and then everything else is just you know guys are flipping cut like spinning cuffs to see if they can get it to like spin and land upright or just finding anything to do while watching the game obviously but just anything to talk about anything to do while we're out there just killing time for yeah five innings at a time or whatever um Another buddy of mine was wondering what Nelson Cruz's nap room is like. Cause yeah, I heard he had like some nap set up. Yeah, so kept... there's a nap room like right by the entrance of like where we get to come into Target Field from the players' lot, 
And I've only, I honestly, I haven't been in there, but all I know is Austin, one of our clubbies, uh, was just always, you know, doing every day. Like part of the laundry load was those sheets to get clean sheets on Nelly's nap room for, I'll never forget. We were in, <laughs> we played a, uh, was it the double header day? I'm trying to think if it was the double header day, but in, uh, in Baltimore, we like you know walking out to it's like an hour pregame, maybe a little, maybe a little bit more. But Nelly's you know just getting his rest on the couch, like towel over his head, like knocked out, and gets wakes up, gets ready for the game. I'm already outside waiting for the game to start and getting the pitchers ready and stuff like that. But like just sleep, like getting his little nap, like an hour and a half before the game or so, and just comes out and you know. Like three for four with a homer, just just rakes, just rakes, and but literally like gets up out of bed and yeah. just rakes. But it's not like, it, but what like with his nap room, and like I think, uh, I think a lot of organizations have them, and like I know the Mets did or still do, but like it has nothing to do with you know, like laziness or anything like that. Like he comes in and he's the first one in the cage. He has his I was, routine. I was going like, to ask you about then, that. Like, but just like getting that little like refresher nap is just part of his routine. Yeah. And you know, at 39 still doing what he does, like any rest can't hurt. Right. Yeah, for sure. But he's like the dude. Was he like the dude that pretty much the guys looked up to? Was he kind of like the, the leader of the – of the clubhouse. Yeah. Like, he set the tone, like being like, he's 39. Obviously he's doing things right. And he had a great year, but he was the first guy there. Right. Hitting yeah. BP, I mean, he's, he's first 39. The- um, like he's 39. He's the first one over in the, one of the first ones, if not the first one in the cage, getting his work in like his routine, he'll be out, you know, like BP, what, four thirty, And he'll be out, you know, at three hitting, you know, carry fastballs off the machine or whatever we have set up for the day getting his swing right and like the just always working he knows his routine he knows the game of baseball and what he needs to do to get right and like when it came to like doing everything right he he was the role model on the team like anytime we spoke he's obviously a leader on the team um and then like even he's just the type of guy who says hi to everyone like yeah, the guy who's nice. like the guy who's earned the right even like i don't want to say earned the right but earned the right to where like he could do, generally do whatever he wants mm-hmm. and like no one can say anything like he's been in the league for however long he's our best like he's our best hitter like highest paid player most respected player but he's still the first one doing everything like the first one in the clubhouse first one doing bp never like speaks down or to anyone like whether it's a security guard or anything like that yeah like just in every way he's just a prime role model and yeah yeah that i mean anytime your best player is also like um well arguably your best player but also like your leader and like the one that kind of sets the tone and does the right things you know i mean that to me that stuff just like trickles all the way down the oh, team yeah. and throughout the the clubhouse and and whatever. I mean, and I think like in hindsight, it was a great signing because at the time I almost wanted them to go after Goldschmidt just because Goldschmidt was a lot younger. Um, I feel like he's got a lot of good baseball left. You know, five six years like still kind of in his prime. Um, but I guess 
signing Nelly. Obviously, having the year that he did, I didn't really anticipate. But also just the leadership factor, and like with you know the Latin players kind of relating to those guys and like setting the tone for Sano and like setting a good example for him. And you know, obviously it was in hindsight the right signing. But at the time, I was like, dude, we should get Goldschmidt. But yeah. I mean, I mean, it worked out great because yeah, I mean, it's the influence he has on like all the young guys, no matter who it is, and obviously Sano, but like Sano, you know, worked worked hard and started, you know, same thing like with the carry fastballs, and you know, everyone, I mean, kind of misinterprets getting on plane to swinging up in a lot of situations where like there may be sometimes there may be the tiniest you know upward movement before we make contact but generally speaking like once we get to our contact point that's where the swing starts you know we stay through it and the swing starts carrying up but but before that we're just on plane and like a guy like Sano who you know might strike out a lot but is going to hit a lot of home runs and when he makes contact it's absolutely crushed yep he's out there air every day hitting early work off a carry fastball machine to get make sure he's getting on plane and early enough where he's got room for air where he's strong enough where he can go out to any part of the field and we've obviously seen that for a few years now but like the idea the idea of like and slow-mo and analytics and everything people have kind of misinterpreted the way the swing works where getting on plane isn't like it's not an uppercut swing we're not dropping our hands we get on plane and we get on plane with you know shoulder tilt and stuff like that so but like those guys like garver miggy nelly like three of our best home run hitters and the guys who like led our team in home runs yeah are all hitting like carry fastballs like belt high to higher to work on being short and getting on plane, getting on plane early so they have that room for air. Yeah. Versus, like, they're not up there just, like, working on swinging up to the baseball. They yeah. know, like, they know what they have to do. And, like, you've seen, like, Bregman, and everyone has different feel. Like, Vado's is his tilt feel. And, like, but, like, Bregman's feel is working through that top pitch because he knows, like, that's his swing. And then all it is is the shoulders that change it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone has their feel and different things, but it's getting on plane. It's not swinging up to the baseball. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? And, like, those guys kind of watching that every day really solidified. Like, those, like, Nelly, one of the best hitters in the MLB last year. Garver had the best season, like, a catcher, like, yeah, at-bats-wise, like, has ever had. Like, he led the league in homers per at-bat. Um, and those guys are working on carry fastballs and not, like – trying to get good at lifting pitches but getting on plane and doing damage yeah because that's what they're going to see in the game yeah um just to just to kind of wrap it up or or one thing i want to get to before we do the 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 pennant talk about like the pennant chase i mean we kind of knew we were going to clinch right i mean for a little while like it was just a matter of time it was just waiting on the right things to when are happen. we gonna win yeah when is cleveland gonna lose um but like talk about like clinching partying whatever like just that that whole i mean it was awesome we obviously the way my mindset on the whole situation was 
I just figured we were going to have to keep winning to do it because Cleveland, like, for that yeah, last half staying. of the season, like, I mean, like, the the series win in Cleveland when we swept, swept the doubleheader was huge, obviously, and we started playing really good after that. But Cleveland just refused to lose. So, like, I wasn't really expecting a whole lot, um, but we played the day game and they were playing a night game. So we, like, at, after we uh, we won against Detroit – and we just kind of hung out in the clubhouse, had a few beers and stuff like that. Like, and I was just, you know, just watching the game, waiting for. It took a while to get the game up on the screen. Actually, I was on, about to pull it up on my phone, but just watching the game, like things started going right. Obviously, I'm trying to. Uh, I want to. Did Eloy hit it? Like they had the lead, and then Eloy hit a big homer and stuff like that. And like the vibe was obviously just slowly getting better as yeah. like many people probably didn't expect Cleveland to lose this game against the Sox. Like they've been, they haven't lost. They won't lose unless it's against us. Like pretty much the entire second half of the season, they wouldn't lose unless it was against us. And they came in and took two or three at home one series. But, uh, but yeah, so like we were just all hanging out in there, like talking about just the day, talking about anything, watching the game. And as the game slowly prolonged and the leads slowly started getting higher and higher, like the anticipation, you know, Was got there. Building. And like probably after the home run was, uh, after that home run was hit, they started setting up the, uh, we were just in a, like a little side room to the left of the clubhouse. And like started setting that up when it like started. Plastic. Like, and Yeah. And, Champagne uh, and the beers and and then like the last the last out there was just like every pitch like especially like two strikes and I think someone walked or ended up getting a two strike hit with two outs or something like that and like it was just like everyone's like ah oh, ah oh. <laughs> oh, oh. and then when it finally happened like everyone went nuts it was I mean I can't you talk about how lucky I mean I was just lucky to get into this position. And then happened my first year, we make the playoffs, which, like, there's been players, there's been many players go through their entire career without getting to, taste. you know, taste even, like, even a wild card game, let alone a division title and, like, chances like that, like King Felix. You know, he, what, ten or longer MLB yeah, career is, like, right? one, of the, one of the best during his time. And, and he's he, never been the and playoffs. And he never huh? once got to taste playoffs, so, like, and there's obviously there's plenty of guys in that clubhouse who it was their first time and some of the guys had been there like Marwin and stuff but uh I mean it was just and you got all the rookie cops too who get to you know the September cops who get to taste right. it a little bit uh yeah. our first year like me and Garrett's first year the other bullpen catcher we got to taste it and yeah so then like Rocco you know just gave his little his little speech at at the end of it and Pop champagne. We ran out of. They ran out of goggles, though, so I didn't have any goggles. So, uh, needless to say, there was a fairly long point in time where I couldn't open my eyes, just with <laughs> all the champagne that had, you know, made it into my face. But I mean, it was just <laughs> new guy, new guy yeah. that didn't get goggles. It was. I mean, I'm bottom of the totem pole, so that's just <laughs> that's just the way it is. But I mean, it was awesome to be a part of it all the like everyone on the team was awesome all the bullpen guys were awesome so getting to like just congratulate all those guys and 
get congratulated by like you know all the front office people and stuff like that was incredible made yeah. it on made it on tv chugging a few budweiser's with like <laughs> rogers and stuff like that so i mean yeah so then like it was just hung out in the clubhouse for a while uh had a grand old time like an absolute incredible time just you know partying with the guys and the rest of uh i didn't happen to make it out to the bar i uh once yeah. i got back to once we got back i uh was fairly tuned up but um <laughs> the right most of everyone else other than like i think they're like there's a few guys who didn't because they knew they'd have to play the next day and they were already tuned up but uh <laughs> um the rest of the guys like there's a bar like right by the hotel that they got and you know just had had a grand old time. The next day for me was a little bit of a struggle. But a little rough. It was a day game too, yeah, wasn't it? Day, Early. Day game, and then right after that we had the rookie dress up. And for the majority of that day, I was, I was feeling the night before. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough, that's a tough turnaround. You gotta try and battle the battle the cobwebs. But yeah, I mean, what? I I can't even describe it because like i can't even imagine what it feels like for players because like i'm not a player i'm just like part of the staff but just grinding out you know at that point like 155 games uh, i mean it's a long time to like finally get to where your goal uh, the first goal of the season is at least and like it was, yeah. yeah and like you know just yeah I, I mean it's just there's obviously not a like a even a remotely bad feeling in the entire clubhouse. Like, you know, I, yeah. it's just like one of the happier, one of the happier situations and intoxications that I've been a part of. <laughs> so it's, it's like drinking at a wedding. Like everyone's just, everyone's right. just yeah. only, only having a good time. And like, so good vibes only. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's freaking sweet. Did you, did you, uh, participate in the rookie dress up? I did me and, uh, me and Garrett were dumb and dumber, so I had, he had the pink or the orange suit. I had the blue one. So you were Harry, you were Harry Dunn. He was mm -hmm. Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> it worked out good because I've got you know longish, blondish hair. I'm right. like the more scraggly one. Uh, <laughs> Did you get any pictures? Yeah, Gibby. I gotta, uh, I gotta see those when you. Gibby has a picture on his. I was hurting during these too, though. But Gibby's got a picture on his Twitter. Odo apologized to me when he handed it to me. He's like, "Sorry, we uh, probably could have ironed it, but it was still in like the costume thing and not remotely ironed." There we are. I'd say the best one, the best one for sure, though, <laughs> is uh. Yeah, you look like you're kind of hurting a little bit, eh? Oh yeah, the best <laughs> one was for sure. Uh, Cheech and Chong, Asadio and Arias. Asadio, look at this guy. <laughs> Ah <laughs> oh, man, that's freaking great! So you guys flew in that? Is that the? Is that the? Yeah, the, we flew in that, deal? and then uh, like just went out to dinner when we got into Kansas City. Just like, like got that. some barbecue and stuff, dressed like that. So we got you know a few, few, few stray looks from the <laughs> normal <laughs> restaurant goers who were at the barbecue joint we were at. But what are you gonna do? Uh, that's good stuff, man. Love it. Um, let's wrap it up. You're doing it next year, right? Yep. Yep, for sure. And as long as you can. Yeah, plan. as long as I can, pending, you know, 
whatever happens, whether it's, you know, kids coming to the picture and need to stay home or anything like that. But yeah. for the time being, I'm going to be doing this as long as I can. I mean, I love, like, the front office staff are awesome. The coaching staff is awesome. The players this last year were awesome. Like, yeah. I can't say much bad about the year we had. I mean, if you record-wise, how we played and just, you know, the experience and – like relationships that you get to build with all these people. So, and I obviously I love being around baseball. So, I can't complain at all. I'll be doing living this for, the dream. Hey, just I'll be doing this for a while. Living the doggone dream. Good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate it. It's uh, it's a good spot to end. I think so. Thanks again, man. Maybe we'll of do course. it again sometime. Yeah. Hey, yeah, it was fun. All right, man. Good stuff, huh, babe? All right, dudes. There it was. My man, CEO, Connor Olson, I appreciate you. Nothing but love. Thanks for taking the time out. Um, guys, I hope, you know, hope you learned something. Like, I know I did. You know, he's, uh, he's, he learned a lot this year, I think, and being able to share that was pretty sweet and some of the stories. And, you know, once again, thanks. So, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Tune in next time. We're going to keep them rolling. Learn, try, know, and achieve. Oh, babe.